Are we ready? Yeah. All right, let's add Steve to the call. Everyone smile in a really creepy way. <laughs> Wait, are we actually going to do the creepy smiles? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. Hey! <laughs> I like this. We're like, how do we all just sat here? How do we greet? Like, what do we do? So much enthusiasm. I I really like this energy. Oh my god. <laughs> And welcome to Let's Learn Everything, the show where we learn anything and everything interesting. Today, we'll be meeting a special guest, trying to answer their question, and then asking them a few miscellaneous questions about themselves. My name is Ella, and I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Steve Rathjay. Steve is a PhD student studying psychology at the University of Cambridge and a science communicator with over 1 million followers on his TikTok account, Steve Psychology, where he shares the weird and wonderful world of psychology. My name's Caroline, and today I want to ask Steve about what it's like hitting a million followers on TikTok in such a short space of time. My name's Tom, and a more miscellaneous question I'm going to be asking our guests is, what was your favorite show when you were still a theater kid? Uh, and how does theater affect how you do science communication? I like that. We've stalked you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, Steve, do you want to introduce yourself and your question? Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, first of all, thanks so much for inviting me to be on this podcast. <laughs> I've I've listened to tidbits and I've seen clips from your podcast and it's it's so so fun and so like high energy and um uh so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be on it. And I'm excited to ask you this question today that I've been sort of obsessed with for a few months. And um, I've asked a lot of people this question. And I'm really curious about their answers, because I feel like how you answer this question actually sort of says a lot about you. That's my Uh, hypothesis. Okay. So um, I want to know whether you think that uh, insects have consciousness. And the type of consciousness... Wow. Um, okay. Um, as much as I want to just jump straight into that question, uh, could you tell us uh, just a little bit more about your PhD, Steve? What What are you studying? So my PhD advisor is Sander van der Linden, who does a lot of stuff on like fake news. So I uh-huh. study a lot... Um, of stuff related to social media polarization and uh, misinformation. So I do a combination of like working with like big data sets of Facebook and Twitter data, looking at what goes like viral on Facebook and Twitter. And um, yeah. And uh, then I do experimental work, some like field experiments too, uh, like social media field experiments. And Mm. um, yeah, I'm going to start a postdoc next year too at NYU uh, with, um, Javon uh, Bavel, who I'm working with a lot now, who also does a lot of the social media and polarization work. And yeah, I, f- I find it to be a really interesting area, especially sort of like in the world we are living in right now. And, uh, you know, I was going to say, very, re- very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all, we all feel that. Since I spend all my time on social media anyway, it's yeah, interesting to study it. <laughs> is, there any, is there anything um, you found in your like studies during your PhD that would you could tell us that it might be like quite surprising to us, you know, or interesting. Putting you on the spot here. I know, sorry, <laughs> that's like, that's a hard question. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how surprising my results are, but I had a paper published earlier this year called um, Outgroup Animosity uh, Drives Engagement on Social Media. And basically what we found in both like Facebook and Twitter data is that... Um, We looked at tweets from U.S. politicians and U.S. news media sources. And uh, we looked at all sorts of, like, predictors, uh, potential predictors of virality online, whether that's, like, negative emotional language, positive emotional language, moral emotional language, etc. And what we found by far, the biggest predictor of virality was whether a tweet or a Facebook post mentioned the out group. So if like a conservative was talking about Joe Biden, for instance, or if a liberal was talking about Trump, those tweets and Facebook posts got like way more viral. Like each out group word added to a social media post increased its um, 
sort of uh, its number of shares by around 70%. Um, So it was was a very big effect. And it was also a lot of it was driven, especially on Facebook, by um, sort of, you know, negative emotion reactions. So we looked Mm -hmm. at the Facebook reactions. So outgroup words predicted to a very large extent um, angry reactions uh, and ha-ha reactions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As well as comments and shares. Whereas words about the in-group predicted heart reactions and like reactions, but the effect there was much smaller. So what we saw Mm, was like mm. this outgroup animosity effect was much bigger than like the in-group love effect. And that tracks a little bit with um, other polling data we see in the U.S. We see that a lot of people's political identities are driven by hate toward the out-group rather than love Mm -hmm. toward the in-group. You know, it's not that like Democrats will like love Biden. It's more that they hate Trump and vice versa. Wow, what a good system to base your political (laughs) beliefs on. (laughs) Not toxic at all. (laughs) And 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 I'm guilty of falling into that trap too. I was just gonna say exactly the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) When you told me about this question, Steve, I knew immediately that these guys would love it. We we actually talk about insects a lot on this podcast. Really? Mm-hmm. In different ways. We all have like a different interest in bees. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've okay. all made separate TikToks about bees. Wow. <laughs> and okay. their like responses to things. So I think that like the, this is like the perfect question. Yeah. I also think it's interesting to ask like people with a background in biology this question, for instance, because yeah, I... um. I asked someone who like studied insects this question, someone who like studied mosquitoes, and they had a very particular oh. answer, I think, based on their background. So yeah, I'm curious to hear. Mm-hmm. I won't say too much because I don't want to like influence yeah. you. Um, but yeah, to give like a little bit more um, background to this question, uh, the kind of consciousness I'm talking about is not like um, self-awareness consciousness. So um, like mm. I, I would consider that more advanced. Like I, I don't mm. think, I, I, I'm not asking like are insects aware of themselves um or like whether they can recognize themselves in the mirror or anything i was I'm, about to say yeah, yeah. do they pass that test <laughs> yeah and i do, i don't think insects have been shown to pass the mirror test i'm i'm pretty sure they have not <laughs> what i'm asking about is um basically like a uh, subjective experience or um something a lot of people call qualia um, so yeah, mm. you've probably, some of you have probably heard of qualia if you've like studied philosophy and everything. So like the feeling that there is something that it is like to, for instance, feel pain or see the color red or like taste a grape, the sense that there is something that it is like to exist. So I'm, I'm asking about consciousness sort of in its most basic sense of do insects have subjective experience or, you know, is there something that it is like to be an insect? Or are they just sort of like machines with nothing inside? Yeah, those little driven heads. by their kind of impulses and like natural instincts. Right. That's such an interesting question. This is so interesting. Oh, this is so interesting. This is such a good. I'm glad you like it. So to to just restate it, it's do insects have a sense of subjective experience? I I think a, a yes. similar question that I remember hearing from from undergrad was sort of like, what is it like to be a bat? Yeah. And uh, it was was our animal of choice for that. And yeah. I think it's it's very interesting you sort of bring up the the roboticness cuz I feel like <laughs> like there's very clear like lines on the opposite side. There're very clear ends of the spectrum, right? It's like mm-hmm. on the one side it's like humans and on the one other side it's like rocks and it's like this is definitely not and right. this definitely is. And then the middle gray area is mm. like where there is so much room for study and so much room for subjective we're gonna get a, uh, an answer at the end of this right there's a there's a correct answer that you're gonna... is there a correct answer <laughs> it seems like something that doesn't absolutely well there's correct in my mind but it's not it's not rooted in evidence very interesting. oh interesting very interesting i want to what this immediately makes me think of this question is a question we actually did on the podcast a little while ago is do insects have memory? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about it on one of our test episodes, which you can find on our Patreon. Yeah, and especially we talked about if butterflies could remember being caterpillars. Oh my god! Yeah, I love that. It's that sort of vibe. It, there is like a level of you know, kind of like higher cognitive power you have to have to have both yeah. memory and to have like subjective experience. I guess. Yeah. 
And, and do you guys, did you guys think that insects had memory? Like, what was your conclusion? <laughs> so this was like a question we did in one of the um, pilot episodes. And the study mm-hmm. I looked at said that butterflies could remember some experiences from being a caterpillar. Mm-hmm. What they did was they exposed these caterpillars to acetone which is quite sweet smelling Hmm. and like Mm -hmm. the idea that like the caterpillar would like the smell um and then exposed the caterpillars to little electric shocks every time they let them smell acetone basically really lovely lovely paper um and then they (laughs) looked once the butterfly had like gone through metamorphosis they looked at if the butterfly still avoided the acetone smell so like tried to avoid that like being in pain thing and they found that a lot of butterflies did so in theory they do have some memory whether you say that like memory or avoiding pain is a subjective experience is a bit different yeah yeah it's objective in in the sense that they learnt. Yeah. Another butterfly in in their situation wouldn't know that. Yeah. I, I feel like before we get too deep, I would love to get <laughs> just the three of us a yes or no answer to this question before oh. we. Yeah, pretest and then post-test. So like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what What's your pretest answer here? And then at the end of the episode, <laughs> we'll see if I can convince you about the right answer. Sample size of three. <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, to be fair, in my it's within field, subjects. So in in I know within your field. Steve, an N of three would not be acceptable, but within <laughs> my kind of biology, an N of three is absolutely a great number. So, this is, as, as far as I'm concerned, this is, if we get two no's, it's statistically significant. True. N of three was social psych in the 70s, so it's, it's kind of more like the classic social psych. <laughs> okay, go on then, Tom. God, bugs are so, they're like precisely in the, on the line of whether I, I agree or not. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna say yes. Okay, Caroline? I think it might depend on the type of insect. Okay. But I'm, I'm gonna say, based on the butterfly memory thing, I'm gonna say yes right now. Hmm. See if I change my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm gonna say no. And I can I can ex- Ooh, I can elaborate okay. on that. Good. I'm glad we have some disagreement amongst you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so should I say my answer now that you've all said yours? Yeah. Yes, please. I'm I'm, so I'm like a hard yes from me. Like a wow. yes, a hundred percent. Well, well, now I want to change my answer. <laughs> no, no, no. We need some debate. We'll, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. <laughs> I, but, but, I'm willing, but I, I'm willing to be convinced, you know, I'm, I'm okay. going based on my own um, understanding of insects, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. and, and you know more. Well, I, I'd say you probably know more about insects than I do. I, I, I know very little biology, but I think that my answer is just kind of rooted in a very strong intuition. Okay. And it's funny because I feel like I don't have like strong intuitions about a lot of things without evidence, but this mm. is just like one of these things that I was really surprised to think that people thought opposite than me especially some of the people i talked to who like studied biology or this person i talked to who studied mosquitoes um Uh, so the person who studied mosquitoes thought no they thought no that's so interesting yeah I, i think that my understanding of insects the way i feel about like their instinctive animal behaviors is what has driven me to like the no answer yeah like almost knowing too much in a way that like you can't you're overthinking how they mm. behave. That's what I was going to ask. I was very curious if the, the entomologists that you talked to felt more or or less. Like, were they more yes or more no? Because, like, does being close to it make you feel like, like Ella said, like, you have to, like, abstract and, like, not think about it? Or does it make it feel more personal? I am curious. Also, mosquitoes suck, so... <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why, yeah. Maybe if they were studying something else, you don't yeah. Want, you don't want to think that they have consciousness. I know, I think they didn't like mosquitoes. Like, I feel like if they were, like, a, like a beekeeper, then, like, mm-hmm. because, like, bee, right? bees are awesome. The answer is actually yes, except for mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. Bees, like, they whatever, they, they speak languages to each other by wiggling or whatever. I've seen those studies. But, um, yeah, well, I think they didn't like insects. That was probably a thing. But, like, also, yeah, from some of the, like, more biologically-minded people I've talked to, and, like, once again, like, I'm, you know, I I, I studied, like, neuro for psychology, and I've, of course, studied biology in high school, but I'm not, like, a very extremely biologically-minded person. But their answer was mostly that, like, um, insects have such, like, machine-like behavior 
that mm-hmm. they kind of just thought that they were machines. They were like, their brains are like so simple. We can kind of model everything that's happening. They're uh, just like a few is, little things. Yeah. Where would the consciousness be in there? Ella is freaking I out. I'm so, I'm so, so I um, have used Drosophila uh, fruit mm-hmm. flies in mm-hmm. my research mm-hmm. before. And when you work with something like that basic and you see like the level of kind of simplicity in that system, it can be mm-hmm. really hard to see that as like a complex organism it is we have like 70 percent, 60 percent overlap genetically with fruit flies and- wild <laughs> <laughs> but don't we have 50 percent overlap genetically with bananas like yeah we do we yeah. do like <laughs> yeah so they must be conscious <laughs> but like something like 90 percent of all like disease genes are like present in fruit flies that are present in humans which is not the same case oh, wow. as bananas <laughs> wild mm. but they have such like strong instinctive behaviors that they are born with you know that they, they spring into the world like that and they will never deviate that it's and when you see that so much it's very hard to see that as like a conscious being yeah i guess so i guess that that's probably where i i come at it from even with bees i love bees i have a tattoo of a bee on my arm and i <laughs> oh wow cool but even things like the waggle dance and they're you know it's still something that they just do. I don't yeah. necessarily think that they mm. think about it in any way. I might be wrong. So where on the evolutionary ladder would you think the consciousness starts? Like, would you say that, like, dogs Ooh. have consciousness then? I I would. And I think it's something to do with emotions is where okay. I start to think about mm-hmm. consciousness. Like, And you can tell Ella means that because she's a cat person. So you can tell that she really <laughs> means that dogs have consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I really do. I think it's like some it's like having a like a personal experience, like a personal response to something huh. or being able to make a decision in a moment based mm. on your own personal perspective or emotional response. I guess that's how I'm thinking about consciousness. For me and and Steve, I'd, I'd love to, to to hear more about if you have some studies to 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 cite and throw at us, but for me what really the straw that broke the camel's back was thinking about qualia and sensation and then i thought about sort of like the compound eyes that flies have and i was just like that is a complex input yeah that is then generating an output and 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 that feels like it is there is something meaningful you know, I, I don't want to, again, we have to be careful as we toe the line of anthropomorphizing, but but there is a sensation and an action that 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 does occur. That's so interesting. I, I learned in such like huge detail about how fly vision works down to like the molecular level that it becomes so... Oh my God. Th- that it becomes so, like you said, Steve, mechanical. Mm-hmm. That w- the more detail you know, the less human it becomes. Okay. Mm. Hmm, interesting. I mean, we know a lot about how human vision works. It's like one of the things we know most in neuroscience. And I I feel like knowing that doesn't like get rid of our, I don't know. The simplicity argument doesn't like convince me a ton. No, no, I I totally, I totally agree. I'm not saying that that, I'm not trying to necessarily convince you. Yeah, that's where you're coming from. Yeah, it it really makes it harder for me. Okay, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, our vision in itself, despite its complexity and its molecular level, is not not conscious. It's us thinking about and perceiving our vision in a specific way that attributes to the consciousness, I guess, in my head. No, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, the vision itself isn't the conscious part. Do you have any, like... Yeah, do you want to hear the the evidence yeah. that I have? Yeah, I, mean, I really it's do. Like, yes, please. Yeah, when I said the part that, like, a lot of this comes from an intuition, I do feel like it's the, like, what Jonathan Haidt called, like, the emotional dog and the rational tail. Like, I feel like <laughs> some of my evidence is justifying my intuitions here. And for some reason, I have a really strong intuition about this and have always always had a strong intuition about this so like I won't say I'm the most like unbiased person about this question just because like Mm. I but I found a really cool paper that kind of supports my intuition it was published in PNAS in 2016 and it's called what insects can tell us about the origin of consciousness amazing title yeah yeah, I know I like and as soon as I found this paper I was like it confirms my prior beliefs yay Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I do want to say as as a fourth year PhD student like <laughs> like you, do you find that a lot of your I don't know if you're writing your thesis at all, but a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my writing is now thinking something and then being like, I wonder if I can find something to back this up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is terrible science. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Uh, though I, I will say that maybe 
In terms of some of the subjects I study, I study like social media, politics and everything. I have maybe like less strong beliefs or I'm less like mm. invested in the question. Also, this is one of those questions where the answer is like so unclear yeah. that like right. it's so dependent on intuition. It's almost like asking someone about like their religious beliefs or something like that. And just sometimes yeah. Yeah, these things are like just in the absence of evidence, you, you look at intuition. Yeah. And of course, in science, I point. try to be more... I try to not engage in motivated reasoning. And that's one of the things I'm interested in studying too. I try to, you know, be as unbiased as possible, even though that's ultimately kind of impossible. But yeah, I think it's good to be intellectually humble about these things, even if I don't always live up. Um, But yeah, so this paper, I'm going to describe it in like a very simple way because some of it gets kind of technical. So the crux of their argument is they say that basically just like more quote-unquote ancient structures in the human brain, such as sort of the midbrain structures, Mm, mm. they believe that those are what is needed for subjective experience Uh, and that we don't need the more, you know, advanced quote-unquote structures such as like the prefrontal cortex because we know from a lot of prior research like lesion studies, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you get that part of your brain taken out, subjective experience can persist. Mm. Uh, So yeah, they have some evidence like this that makes them believe that like the midbrain is sort of what is, um, you know, necessary for subjective experience. And then they sort of like, they look to insects and their argument is that, okay, the insect brain is obviously like a lot more simple and crude, but their argument is that like the insect midbrain performs like similar functions to the human midbrain is I think how they said it. Ah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's an exactly the same midbrain, but it mm-hmm. like performs similar functions. And I think that is their justification. And I might be omitting some like key parts of it, but that that is their argument. Now, I will say that this paper had three commentaries in response to it that were basically critiquing the paper. So briefly, the titles of that are Insects Cannot Tell Us Anything About Subjective Experience or the Origin of Consciousness. Oh, oh, oh gosh, this is wild. I love science beef. I love seeing response papers when there's like a bit of beef. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Let's go. Like they can get really harsh with each other. Scientific feuds are, are the best. Um, <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the other two were, one was Consciousness Explained or Consciousness Redefined. And then the third Mm. was avoid the hard problem. Employment of mental simulation for prediction is already a crucial step. Mm. So yeah, I think those letters were all critical of this particular letter. You know, the evidence base for this is, is, it's it's still obviously pretty, pretty weak and people are ultimately making arguments based on like what they know and everything. So that's, that's kind of the evidence I, I know of. I'm curious to like see, hear what you guys think or if you have questions about that. I have a question for you. you so, you, you know, you said you have quite a strong feeling. Yeah. And in, in, in intuition about this. And, and do you have any, like, in your mind, any reason for that? When you think think about it, is there something that, like, you know, is there an insect you saw or, you know, something that <laughs> really, like, got you to think that way? Well, I just, I kind of think that consciousness is probably for, and I heard this argument somewhere else, that consciousness, like, is for movement it's for helping us navigate in environments and decide like Mm. where to move and how to like react to things and consciousness probably helps us integrate information and Mm. move an environment that's like might be its function that's very speculative but like my intuition i think comes from the fact that like i see creatures like us that like take input through their senses and then decide where to move uh including like insects or fish or various other creatures like that I see them as likely having consciousness. And that's, I think that's where my intuition comes from. I'm also, I'm kind of open to like some of the panpsychist theories, like maybe trees have consciousness, but I don't have like a strong intuition there at all. I'm just like question mark. But uh, for some reason, for like any creature that moves, it's just, to me, like my mind's (laughs) first intuition is like, of course. And of course my intuitions could be wrong. Our intuitions are often wrong, but that's where my intuition comes from. That's really interesting. Do you have any like really strong or maybe not so strong doubts about it as well. Like, do you have any thoughts in the other way? Like, mm, maybe this isn't right, but your intuition sort of like takes over that. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I, reckon, I recognize that there's such uncertainty that I could yeah. be wrong. 
but like in the absence of evidence, that's where my intuition points me, I guess. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 Carolyn, I'd love to hear your perspective as a, a more undecided voter um, yeah. in this. I, I'm like really reluctant to give an answer because again, I think I do fully anthropomorphize <laughs> it and be like, I can't imagine something moving around and making all of doing all of this stuff not having some level of consciousness. I really yeah. struggle with like being able to separate my own perception of that from what actually is happening yeah again i talk like i go that back to then like we know that some insects at least have memory of some sort and can mm-hmm. learn things mm-hmm. and therefore it's like if you can remember things and you can remember negative experiences is that a level of consciousness like yeah that the study that you've talked about previously caroline definitely is one of the brings things that you like this way a little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even I, I, I like I appreciate that that the paper you talked about, Stephen, the kind of like rudimentary midbrain idea, but like the like brain structural stuff maybe doesn't convince me as much as like seeing like the kind of actual activity of the insect and like this idea yeah. of like memory really does, yeah. That definitely puts me more towards that consciousness side. I want to push back on one thing you said, Ella, which is the sort of like behavioral output, right? Which we know subjectively isn't necessary for subjective experience, right? Like I can stand perfectly still, you know, that's just to play devil's advocate. And, and, and I forgot my other point, but yeah. (laughs) No, but I know, you know, that's a, that's a very good point. You don't have to have output to have subjective experience. Yeah. I also, like, while you're remembering that point, I want to say something about the memory. So, for some reason, I, I just don't see memory as, like, being super linked to consciousness. Mm-hmm. I kind of see them as separate okay. things. And, like, with, with a study you brought up, that almost just reminds me of, like, um, so, yeah, butterflies can remember being caterpillars. But, like, I don't know. I think there can be rudimentary forms of memory that aren't linked to consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just, like, the thought of pain itself we debate if insects can actually experience that or if they can if they're just like responding to something that harms them so again that's like also not great indicator of if they have any sort of conscious experience i've also heard the argument um that like having pain receptors or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that you have like the subjective experience of pain yeah yeah yeah. so like Mm. yeah i kind of think it does i would say it would i'm like why else would you have those receptors uh-huh. if it's not to like... <laughs> it's just, I guess it's like the input, it's more of a warning or something like that, rather than it's something that is distressing. That's, I guess, pain, when I think of it in like a consciousness way, it's like it's it gives us distress. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think I'm so stuck on like the idea that, that consciousness is like emotions. I, I'm so stuck on that idea. I guess I can't get out of that. <laughs> It it's interesting. I I almost want to say that we can start to become like anti anthropomorphic, if you know what I mean, right? Like like we become too afraid to too far the other direction. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. I think for the most part, we most sciences tend to skew anthropomorphic. But I think I think there there can be a a trap to think that to, to there's almost like a um, a security to say that like nothing is human because because humans are only humans nothing can be human that that can make it a little bit and again you know I I think I think Steve brought a, a really great analogy to this which is just that sort of like this is almost like a deeply philosophical question and so I, yeah. yeah for sure I, I don't think that any of us have to have a solid answer on this but I, I think it's very interesting to ruminate on and to think about like. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's value to a to a difficult question that just makes you think more even if you don't get to answer it. But it's it's yeah, it's so it's so tricky. But I think you're right that we become I guess the word is anthropocentric, uh like the opposite of anthropo I don't are those even phobic? Are those even opposites? I mean that's that's what I am anyway. That's uh, we have no room for anthropophobia in here. But um, (laughs) but yeah, also like a lot of people who like uh, are animal rights activists will talk about how like we are like very anthropocentric and we kind of downplay the Mm -hmm. feelings of animals and um, things and the the pain that they feel. And I think that we we might do that with. um, insects as well and, yeah. and i guess like my oh don't i've i've killed so many flies that's what we talked about at the very beginning you're 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 you want evidence to support your yeah. <laughs> what you're already doing right motivated reasoning the idea of 
my fly studies going, thinking that they have, yeah, thinking they have subjective consciousness and they were, you know, distressed by this was is horrible to think about. I'm definitely more anthropocentric, I guess. Like, I, I definitely lean in that direction because I think when you work with animals as a biologist, you ha- you almost have to do yeah. like a safety mm-hmm, mechanism mm-hmm. to yourself. I will right. do like mouse <laughs> yeah. research, and I do think mice have consciousness, and that is like quite. And but you, I still have to downplay it in my head, yeah. to an extent. Yeah, yeah. But you kind of make an interesting point about like how. So like the thing is, my intuition is that's that insects have consciousness, and while like I kind of have an aversion to like squishing an insect or causing pain to an insect, I'm still not very bothered if like people kill insects. Like if I had to like have an exterminator or something in my house, I would not. I feel like I would not be that bothered by that, mm. even though I would have an aversion. And so I'm kind of wondering like if my intuitions are even kind of track like how do i think that they are like conscious and yet i don't i care a bit about their pain but i don't i feel like i don't care that much and like i is it just because like i value the consciousness of things that are closest to humans more i'm not really sure like what like if my intuitions are coherent Mm -hmm. do you think it's like the type of like i guess it's possible that i we see you and i steve that we do think that the insects have that the same experience but i put the idea of the like the semantic idea of consciousness at a higher like level to yeah, you yeah. have to you have to have more before you reach what i consider consciousness in theory it could be a a gradient right a sort of yeah i mean it must be right <laughs> right uh, yeah there's no there's no, it's not like uh there's like a single consciousness gene that we're gonna find <laughs> one day and it's like oh that there it is it's right there it's right next to eye color it's consciousness <laughs> the consciousness part of the brain yeah there's what the metaphor that you mentioned at the very beginning steve that i keep going back to is is like what is it what must it be like to be an insect right and i feel like that that's very evocative because it's something that you can like listening to this podcast you can do you can say like what must it be like to be a dog and then a bat and i think the the bat one was very evocative um in in my studies because you, they famously use um echolocation and so you yeah. sort of try to imagine what you're you're you you start you know you, you close your eyes and then you start listening and you're like yeah, so and, and, and when you start i don't know and i again this could be this totally wrong this is sort of like an uh an intuition but you start of imagine it might be sort of just like a, a a fraction of a percentage of what it might feel or 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 sense or or action to be does this make any sense I listeners lost the listeners the of the podcast I, w- I just want you all to close your eyes and imagine what driving. it's like. Unless you're driving. Unless you're driving. <laughs> not if you're driving. But if you're not driving, close your eyes and imagine what it's like to be a bug. Everyone. <laughs> that, that's my Terrible. bug. Sorry. How are we feeling? We feeling good? Bug-like? Yeah, I mean, we we watched we watched a Bug's Life when we were little. Oh, I, I feel love, like oh, is that where the intuition I love comes from? Bug's life, that's it. That's what's really tipped you over the edge. <laughs> the documentary, a Bug's I, Life. We should do a study to see if watching that show like changes people's intuitions yeah. about this question. That'd be really. I bet it would. Yeah. I bet it would. Uh-huh. Like, I think that must, so. Like, if you watch it quite young, right, it would like incept your brain mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, maybe that's where it all comes from. I'll say one thing. I think the fact that there is yet to be a hard answer and the fact that it is such a, 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 a an intense discussion from both sides does speak to something about the question, mm-hmm. right? Like it is not something like flat eartherism, right? Where you can be like, no, here are the studies, right? Yeah. It is something. It is something that... Tons of very educated people feel both sides about it. And I I am also very curious what what people of different areas of science feel about this question. Because I think, think, like you said, Steve, it it, it speaks volumes to to what people think. To our listeners, if you are in our Discord server, please go and let us know what your answer to this question would be and why. Because I would would certainly like to see what other people think. Especially people who aren't necessarily like science, that don't have like a science background. I did take a poll through tiktok oh um, great oh, amazing oh amazing <laughs> that that was i i didn't even know i feel like we set you up 62 <laughs> percent of people oh 62 percent. can i guess say 
Yes. Oh, I think gosh. they say I yes. Think six shoes are yes. I think six shoes is yes. I think they might say no, Ooh. but I'm curious. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's yes. 62% mm-hmm. say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, 38% say no. And I think around 5,200 had taken. So. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. That's a pretty yeah. good. That's a good sample. Yeah. That's so interesting. My thoughts though is like, um, I feel like if this had more scientists in it, we'd get more no's is the thing. Because I feel like <laughs> scientific thinking is just a bit more reductionist. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> We're all atoms. Yeah, whereas I feel like lay people's intuitions just tend not to be reductionist. I mean, also like lay people tend to be more maybe spiritual or religious than scientists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that kind of thinking yeah. has more of a, you know, anthropomorphize everything kind of thinking to it. So um, yeah, that's my, that's my hunch there. That's a very good point. That's so interesting. Do you have anything else to add, Steve? Because if not, I think we can draw this question to a close. Um, I could talk about this question for the rest of time, but yeah, I guess I'll wrap it up there. <laughs> any final, any final thoughts, points after, after our discussion? Well, I was just thinking of like an alien was observing us from like in studying humans. Mm-hmm. Like, would, would they even think that we have consciousness? And, like, I kind of think, no. I, the reason we think that we have consciousness is because we feel consciousness yeah. in our own minds and we apply that to other minds. So any outside perspective would probably say that we, like, don't have consciousness from our behavior, unless the alien was similar to us. So that kind of convinces That's me. That's such a good point. Yeah. That's such a good... Oh. That's probably the most convincing point you said, like, mm-hmm. for me the whole time. Oh, okay. Damn, yeah. Because, like, I cannot perceive what an insect's no, life... not at all. ...in a life is like. Yeah. And from that perspective, I absolutely... It, what they're perceiving could be consciousness Mm -hmm. who am i to say what is consciousness to me versus an insect right so (laughs) part of me also worries that just like we're never gonna know the answer to this without asking the insect you know a part of me is just like oh we should have just asked can we ever know the answer to this (laughs) question did anyone did anyone think about asking did your poll also include insects (laughs) yeah did anybody like go and ask the bee if that's what they're any any insects on tiktok are we ever going to be able to fully understand what an insect is experiencing are we ever going to be able to reach that point of answering that question i don't know this is like a 3000 ad question where we have like insect to human (laughs) like voice changes right i love that ella was like all right any last thoughts and stevie were like yeah this and just like yeah that was like the biggest thought (laughs) (laughs) my drop twist ending now i'm gonna be thinking about that for the next few days Mm -hmm. oh wow i'm gonna ruin everybody else's day with this question now i annoy a lot of people with this question a lot of people hate this i'm genuinely so excited to annoy so many people with this question legitimately (laughs) this is such a you love a good question that splits people like it's it's really like 50 50 it's not always the case i feel like you guys were way more receptive probably because i'm your like podcast guest but way more receptive to how people in the real world are <laughs> no. so thank I mean, you it's for important. that like, it's important yeah. <laughs> this is also what the podcast is is known for is right. being yeah <laughs> wanting to think about weird things so it's a more appropriate environment than at like a party or being like being like do you think insects have consciousness and, yeah <laughs> That's the problem, Steve. You keep on going to parties and saying, hey, I know. guys, do insects have consciousness? <laughs> if you didn't introduce yourself like that, people might like I need people. to, like, learn better <laughs> conversation starters. Maybe some, like, small talk skills. But, yeah. Oh, no, Steve's here again. He's talking about insects. <laughs> I want to talk about qualia. But that's, oh, no. that's what people are actually like. That's, that's what people, that's what my friends are like in the real world. So, yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> no, there's nothing. There's nothing better than throwing that question out and finding the the people at the party who will uh-huh, who will uh-huh. go all out on that question. There's, there's always someone who will answer. Clearly, it. we exist. This is how you should vet your friends, right? If they answer the yeah, question, exactly. with a yes or a no, then you're like, okay, you're my friend. If they're like, what the what the fuck, then mm-mm. I hate to mm-mm. say it, but like the thing is, like, if someone gives me like a hard no to that question, like, oh, definitely not. Like, I really think they don't. I kind of judge them a bit, like, and I try not to be a judgmental person, but like, I feel like a hard no to this question is like a bit of like a bad sign. It's a bit of an. Ick. I think it's like a red flag yeah, a bit, yeah. and the thing is, like, I don't know. Even though I have like a hard yes, so I. This is a question I maybe I'm too dogmatic about too, but yeah, it's it's the hard nose that I'm like, yeah, 
And that's why I say that I feel like your answer to this kind of tells, mm-hmm. gives me a sense of like yeah. who you are and stuff. Interesting. So, um, so, yeah. uh, so I'm the bad one out of the three of us then. Well, <laughs> you didn't say a hard no. You were actually... Yeah, you gave, you gave an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gave yeah. a reasoning. Yeah, you... And you were kind of like in between and you, I mean, you weren't stubborn. If anything, I was like much more stubborn than any of you guys. Like you were probably, you were all like just a bit more open-minded. <laughs> so that's, that's good. I have good perceptions. And I also like appreciate too, that you like kept the, you know, debate going as well. Cause it would have been so boring if you like, you just like, we're all like, just like oh, yes. yes, totally. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> And I brought it up to some people, some of my friends, and they're like, oh, of course. Like, yeah, why is... And oh, then we just have nothing wow, to talk about yeah. there. Because really? there's no, no okay, question. Well, like, I guess so, so interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like I've never thought about it before. So mm-hmm. I have my instinctual mm-hmm. reaction. And mm-hmm. then I'm yeah. willing to listen kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's a very interesting question. And I am going to bother people with it. So. Thank yes, you. Truly. Yay. Truly well. So, Steve, uh, we have a few miscellaneous questions for you. Some, some sciencey, some less sciencey. Um, and the the first I wanted to ask uh, is that because I don't know if you know that I am also uh, an ex theater kid turned uh, science. Wow, I love that. Yeah, I went to Vassar specifically to study English and theater, and then I took one computer science class and one cognitive science class. And then here we are. That's cool. I was actually like, I was considering Vassar in high school because I was like, oh, it has a good theater program. And yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) truly wild. That's cool. So, of course, I want to (laughs) know, first of all, just what your what your favorite show was when you were uh, big into theater and then also how you think theater affects how you do science communication if it does at all oh that's a good question so so many because like i was <laughs> I, I was both like a musical theater and non-musical theater kid i was less <sighs> like I, I would do only some acting in musical theater because my voice isn't like great i was good at like character <laughs> roles and everything and like uh but yeah so in terms of like musicals i like i of course love sondheim he is like the king of like musical theater I'm the most brilliant person yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I also saw, I saw Next to Normal on Broadway in, like, eighth grade, and that so musical was, like, incredible. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Um, in terms of plays I like, I really, I think my favorite playwright growing up was Sarah Rule. Um, she did plays like Eurydice and, um, a melancholy play and Dead Man's Cell Phone. Her plays were, like, very, kind of, like, almost magical realism and, like, absurdist yeah. and very poetic, like... They were sort of like, the dialogue was like written in poetry. Um, She had a play called A Melancholy Play that I really liked. Um, It was like really absurd. Like everyone became so melancholy that they turned into almonds. And the (laughs) almond was like a symbol for like the amygdala because it was kind of like shaped like the amygdala in the brain. It was just, it was so weird. And I loved it. And she had like... That's amazing. And I did playwriting like, you know, throughout high school and college. And she was a huge influence on my style. So... Um, That's so cool. Yeah. What are, what, are your, what are your favorite plays? And what kind of theater did you do? I, I want to hear about that. Oh, boy. Um, uh, this, was, this was all a trick so I could get to talk about musical theater. <laughs> I, this is all a secret operation. So you were a musical theater kid. Oh, yeah. I was a big... Okay. Kid. Growing up, my <laughs> my my two problematic faves yeah. were uh, Phantom of the Opera and Rent. Oh my god, I love I love Rent. Okay, I I feel like Mark and Rent is like my my dream role because like I don't know I, <laughs> I and I've sung a bit of it and I feel like I kind of have an Anthony Rapp style voice because my singing voice is so nasally. So it's just like if there's any role that like matches my like singing style but yeah that's i love rent i'm not a, i'm not a fan of andrew lloyd Webber. i'm sorry like he's he like i yeah it's fine but that's like valid. that's yeah. that's totally fair yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i just dis- i disagree i think cats is the pinnacle of all musical theater but <laughs> you, you're, you're joking okay i'm unconvinced i'm kidding i live i'm i'm not I was never a musical theater kid. I did uh-huh. always try and be in plays and in musicals in my show, but yeah. I'm not particularly talented that way. But because I live in London now, I go to like like twice a week to the theater. But it's oh a lot God. of like the Royal Shakespeare Company, oh. basically. Oh, that's awesome! I love like which is great. That was my favorite part of being in the UK was just seeing theater in London. Like, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, there's so much going on. It, it was so good. Yeah. And it's like, I love Broadway in New York too, but it's cheaper than Broadway. And it's, yeah. it's you know, it's about For the sure. same quality, at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Broadway might do better musicals and London does better plays. That's my impression. I think I get that impression too. Yeah. And there's more of a mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To answer the question, I will also say a chorus line, I think, I think might be my favorite. I'm a big I, fan of... A chorus line is, like, amazing. I, yeah, I saw the tour of that when I was, like, in elementary school. <sighs> I, I loved it. Like, so good. So I guess to get to the second part of the question, and I guess this sort of leads into to, to what Carolyn was going to ask, or just, like, how did that... Do you think that in any way affected you getting into TikTok and science communication? Yeah, I think it, it impacted it a lot. I think it's part of the reason that I'm, like... Um, comfortable like in front of the camera and stuff because doing a TikTok is like Mm -hmm. a theater performance basically it's like I mean after I got into theater I got kind of into public speaking and things like that and Mm -hmm. in undergrad I was like a public speaking tutor and I you know it's it's very it's a very natural switch to like be confident and comfortable performing on a stage and then to be like confident in front of the TikTok like in Mm -hmm. front of your phone camera and I think part of what kind of does well on TikTok is like that aspect of like expressing enthusiasm and having like being enthusiastic about the science that you are talking about. And uh, you kind of you need to have a little bit of that performance element. And um, I feel like I'm oftentimes more comfortable like making a TikTok than I would be like writing a tweet or or doing something written about like science. It just it feels easier. And it's it's nice that like the, I guess the performance skills that I built when I was young, cause I dedicated a lot of time to it. Like it's nice that they didn't go to waste and that I'm like finding an yeah, outlet yeah. for it. And I also just like, I don't know. I have so much fun. Like when I am like, pu- like in front of an audience or public speaking or like even just in front of a TikTok camera, I just like, I like that and it energizes me a lot. So yeah, I, I think it definitely has like played a role. And I feel like if I didn't do that, I'd probably be like writing or doing something a bit less, mm-hmm. you know? camera focused do you feel like it's impacted you and your like tiktoks and science communication oh yeah i i think um i think uh you put it much better than i could which is very (laughs) nice but i mean uh it's funny because i think you know all of my professors are are very unsurprised that i do this they're like you were always a very uh theatrical in class and then all of my my from high school all the all the theater folks are also very unsurprised and i think that that sort of speaks volumes more to just like the the, that it somehow makes sense but also yeah i mean i think everything is i think everything is is everything i think there's there's value to having all kinds of perspectives in science communication like that i guess but yeah yeah it's it's interesting i i realized when i started doing like presentations for my phd for people mm-hmm. that it was so much of it was a performance like yeah. i was like i was like mm-hmm. faking my confidence i was like but you're not faking it you're acting it really that's yeah. what's happening and it, and it kind of like the two like merged eventually the competence just became part of what I was able to do because I was yeah. like oh I can act this right and so that ultimately led to TikTok. I feel the opposite like doing TikToks helped me with my presenting skills because like I'm like very young in the science stuff I'm only doing my master's I'm like a little baby 23 year old and like being able to do TikTok has definitely me- meant that I can stand in front of an audience now and do presentations and at least like pretend to be somewhat confident especially like in comparison to other people in my cohort at the moment um so i do think that like for me tiktok is very much just like the opposite way around of like oh i can practice doing all of these skills here yeah and then take them into like the real world instead yeah yeah and i appreciate what you guys said about like pretending to be confident or whatever because i know like growing up (laughs) i i was like i was like extremely shy when i was like little and i was pretty shy and introverted growing up so theater was what taught me how to like pretend to be confident and to be confident in like a very specific environment so like now I do know how to like fake that confidence or turn it on and off but like I would not otherwise consider myself like any like a a confident person by trade it's something that like I really have had to like force myself to do and I'm glad theater was like there to do that for me yeah. Can I ask a, a bit of a follow-up question kind of related to that? How did you end up um, interested in psychology? How did that happen? Yeah, I, um, well, I think, like, my, a lot of my interest in, like, playwriting and reading plays, like, made me interested in a lot of, like, human mind and emotion and experiences. And 
I, my high school didn't have an AP psych class, so I, I taught myself oh, wow. AP yeah. psychology wow. through like an online class. And um, it, it, was a, it was a bit of a weird class because it was taught out of BYU because they were the only people who had it. So it had, oh, a, bit of, it okay. had a bit of a, yeah. like, a weird religious bent to it. But like still, <laughs> Just for those who that, don't know, don't oh, know yeah, BYU sorry. is Brigham Young University, yeah, um, which is the, the Latter-day Saints slash Mormon right. university. Yeah, so that that was kind of a different experience, but still reading the textbook and everything got me like, okay, I like this. And um, yeah, but then I think like the main thing is like, I went to like, so I went to Stanford for undergrad and I thought like, okay, maybe I'll be like a theater or English major or something like that. I was kind of like you, Tom, and like, I, I was kind of a humanities person and a humanities artsy person. And I took a bunch of playwriting classes and theater classes and whatever but then I took a like psych class kind of on a whim like my first semester uh Stanford and it was so it was so well taught it like that like influenced me for like the rest of my life that like one psych wow. one class and also a lot of the material from my TikTok is from studies I learned in the psych one class because I try to like kind of you know share some of the basics in mm, my TikTok mm-hmm. some of the study classic yeah. studies on conformity and things like that because um I think a lot of the goal of like a psych one class is to get people excited about psychology. So they naturally teach some of the most exciting stuff. And then with my account, I'm like, okay, how do I get people excited about psychology? Kind of like how I got really excited about it when I was like, um, when I was that age. But, but yeah, then eventually I became a psych major in undergrad. I decided sort of, um, to, to do a PhD and then that, that was that. And now I'm, now I'm here. So, yeah. And That's so interesting. It sounds very much like Tom for a start. And, yeah. But I was looking through your publications. So you have one called Attending Life, The It Improves Empathy, Changes Attitudes, and Leads to Pro-Social Behavior. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I thought this sounded so interesting. I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, um, I like that study. I started that when I was a senior in undergrad. And I started it with Jamil Zaki, who like, studies empathy. And I had just connections to a few theaters that I worked with growing up, like Artist Repertory Theater, and eventually reached out to the, um, to the public theater, and we did some field experiments with them, too. And these were really fun to do, because we had a lot of, like, help from the theaters, especially, like, Artist Rep, to um, survey basically 1,600 particip- like audience members, either immediately before or immediately after they saw three different plays and we just we surveyed them about lots of things like their political beliefs their self-reported empathy toward sort of groups of people depicted in the plays and we also like gave them the opportunity to donate a small amount of money that uh, could have been part of their like uh, compensation for participating in the survey to to charities to see whether charitable behavior would change and yeah we found generally uh, as the title gives away we did find effects on political beliefs related to the play uh, effects um, increases in empathy and we also found that people after seeing these plays would uh, donate more money to a charity both related to the play mm-hmm. as well as a charity unrelated to the play uh, oh. Which shows that maybe there was something about the live theater experience or the process of seeing a show that might evoke empathy that just increases a general sense of generosity. And, um, wow. you know, it should be said, these plays were sort of shows that you might expect to increase empathy that would deal with social issues. I was um, going to ask if did, yeah. if, there, if it were, you saw a difference in the type, like did musical theatre inspire more or, you know, that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, so these were not, these weren't musical theatre, they weren't, like, I, I feel like I would not expect effects for, like, Cats the musical, for yeah. instance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, this could be used to settle the Sondheim-Andrew Lloyd Webber debate for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sondheim viewers definitely are coming out the side better. Sondheim, yes. Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> no. But, you know, a lot of these plays would deal with, like, um, uh, things like poverty and racism and th- like yeah. we, they deal with some social issues so um sort of effects that you would expect in other domains and we have plenty of literature on like reading fiction to evoke similar effects in people and uh this was like one of the first studies to my knowledge that was sort of like extended that to um live theater and I, yeah this was really cool because it was kind of the first big study i i worked on and it was really nice to like integrate some of my interests um with theater and 
psychology. And we got a really great response from like people in the theater community about it. Like we did a, a webinar with um, Philippa Sue from Hamilton. <gasps> yes. Um, ah, yeah. Amazing. And that was, it was just so cool to have someone like, like her. And we had some other um, sort of theater people who were, who were really interested in it. And that was nice to have like theater people sort of really wanting to engage in like the science here. So like, yeah, that was, that was really fun. Oh, amazing. Can I, can I ask, uh, since we're on the topic of some of your previous research, I want to ask a bit about uh, that social media study that you mentioned at the top of the episode. You know, uh, knowing that about how people interact with sort of like controversy and social media, uh, does that ever affect how you think about your own content? I find on um, on TikTok, it's the the controversial videos of mine that go the most viral when people oh, yeah. are yeah. arguing in the comments, right? <laughs> Have you had like any particularly controversial videos and did they, uh, you know, blow up? Because I, I feel like there must be some things that you talk about that really get get to people i would like to add on to that like how you deal with that afterwards as well yeah like how do you handle that sort of negativity coming at you yeah i'm kind of afraid of like i really try to avoid doing negative and controversial stuff even though i know that like some of um this stuff does well like uh we talked about dr ina and like i love her stuff but even she has acknowledged that her stuff fact-checking creators does particularly well because it's almost yeah. like you know dissing or burning mm-hmm. someone and yeah. i think she wants her other videos to do well but it's part of how these That's algorithmic sick. systems work that it's yeah. the dunking so have you found that then yeah so i i've tried i've done a couple fact checks but i i sometimes try to avoid it partially because like i don't want i'm i'm kind of afraid of like haters and i, I like mm. i kind of want to try to go viral as much on I mean, there's other research that shows that like things like surprise and awe and some of these positive emotions, these high yeah. arousal positive yeah. emotions tend to go viral. So that's kind of the stuff that I hope to play into. But then again, yeah, I have had some videos uh, like one in particular. I responded to like a hater and I never expected this video to go viral. But like someone said like, oh, a teenager calling themselves a psychology researcher. And I thought that was so funny because like, I'm obviously not a teenager. (laughs) I was like, I was kind of flattered. You think I look youthful, but like, I, I, I don't know. So I had kind of a sassy response to that. And I kind of talked about some of my credentials and how I wasn't a teenager. And like it was, and, and that did really well. It got like over 2 million uh, views. And I thought it would just be a throwaway video. And I think a lot of it was like, and, and people kind of did come for this um, person who was who was a troll. He trolls all of my videos, but I was like, oh. but they were expressing a lot of vitriol toward him. I mean, at the same time, he was expressing vitriol toward me. He was sort of but like, I, right, I, right. I wasn't trying to set a firestorm toward him. But sometimes that happens that like people will go after that person in the comments, which is a bit like unfortunate. Mm. So um, I thought that video was was relatively great in terms of it. it it was very informative it tried not to be overly mean and it I, I learned a lot in that video about you which is great okay thank you yeah I no I did try to be um respectful and I tried not to be like too negative or sassy and and stuff but yeah I guess that is one video in the um sometimes responding to the haters or engaging in some of that conflict does well but that's not always like the kind of stuff I like to do and I I try to toe the line between like uh what is stuff that I like I know that TikTok algorithm will like versus like what is stuff that I want to share and you know you kind of have to do a bit of both of it because there are some like basic stuff like people like the videos I do about like babies and developmental psychology because like Mm. everyone likes cute babies and stuff so it's like you know I'm like okay if I want to have like I can do another one of those videos but at the same time I'm like but I also want to share science about this that like Mm -hmm. I know like insects yeah. having consciousness that probably won't go as viral and you know it it didn't it went semi like like it didn't do horribly but like yeah i, I try to toe the line between sharing what like i know i like versus like the stuff yeah. that tends to do well yeah this is like the end the real key problem that I yeah. think we all all of us experience here yeah putting our content out there mm-hmm. um it can be very demoralizing when you put yeah. like so much effort into some when you put some effort into something yeah. that you really think is interesting and joy, and then it doesn't mm-hmm. do well. But so uh, yeah, sorry, carry on. Very I was actually yeah. gonna ask about that sort of thing. Like, do you feel really disheartened when those videos don't do well, or do you try to just like 
brush it off and be like, ah, it's one of those videos. Mm. I really try to not let the like feedback affect me too much. I try to respond to it a bit and that I learn what people like. I learn what people don't like. But yeah, I feel like if we actually responded personally to the like feedback the TikTok algorithm gives to us, it would be horrible. And like, I know a lot of people who are like really affected by social yeah. media metrics and how many likes they get. So I really... I like try to do so many cognitive things to not be impacted by it. And <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of nice to just view TikTok as like unimportant. Like <laughs> I, and like, I, I try to, like, I try to view it, it as unimportant. Cause even though it's like really fun, if you view it as unimportant and if you view it as a hobby and just something you're doing for fun, then you won't be as impacted yeah. by that stuff but yeah it's it's naturally to be impacted i think the more you do it the more you get used to it do you have any tools then that you, like act like active things that you don't you know protect yourself against this uh kind of like negative feelings of social media and putting a lot of your self-worth into it do you yeah i don't know yeah i guess it's the trying to view it as unimportant and then also like i'm really anti-perfectionist like i try to like i don't delete my videos if they don't do well i also try mm -hmm. to build my videos like really quickly so i don't get that feeling that like i invest a lot of yeah. time into something yeah. and it that's flops what, yeah. i i just yeah. like i don't reshoot a lot i film quickly and maybe that's like the not the best approach but it's also something nice about tiktok and that you can kind of like TikTok has like an, an informal quality that I try to mm, stick to yeah. a little bit. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I feel bad for people who like put a lot of editing into their videos because like I think the way to deal with the fact that because most videos on TikTok flop, like that's the thing, yeah. most videos flop. And then like you'll yeah, get like yeah. one or two out of the blue that like go mega viral, um, like if you're lucky. And so like if you kind of have that base rate in mind that most will flop and each video is unimportant, and that if one go buzz viral, you're lucky. I think that's like the healthiest mindset to um, yeah. that's really view it in. really interesting. Mm -hmm. The the thing I, I I think I may have mentioned this before, but my go to is always, especially if there is, because I'm I I need to learn this because I'm such a like will spend way too long on a video. But what I always end up doing is is as soon as I post it, I'll send it to like a handful of like really close friends of mine, and like if they laugh at it, then I'm like that's fine. Like that, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Like, I'm happy idea. to spend any amount of time to make a friend laugh. And so if I, if I can do that, then it, 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 I try to make the, the, the numbers matter less. Cause I'm like, I made, I made Angela laugh. That's great. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. I like that. Do you find that there's any correlation between whether they laugh and whether the video does well on the platform? No, I, it's like an anti-correlation. <laughs> the, the videos my friends like, almost never do on tiktok because <laughs> i think they're too like niche maybe they're like too oh, much yeah. to their towards their sense of humor it's either too niche but sometimes if it if it skews i think sort of like what steve was saying like very natural then sometimes that can also be like a very positive mm -hmm. indicator mm -hmm. of like of of making the audience feel like your friends i don't know yeah carolyn did you have any other uh questions i apologize if there's i the one that i wanted to ask was again about numbers is you jumped from like 50,000 followers to yeah. a million followers in a really yeah. short space of time. It was, I looked and it was yeah. like September, you had 50,000 and now you're here. Yeah. So what was that like? Because wow. I can't even imagine that big of a number. That seems really scary <laughs> I, yeah, to me, it you was, know? <laughs> it, was really, it was really weird. I think mm -hmm. it was like, so I made this video about change blindness that got like 6.3 million or something. Wow. Uh, and I think that led to several that kind of like led to a boost in my account and it led to several multi-million videos at once, which was, which was a bit weird. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I had the feeling like it's, it's probably algorithmic randomness, but sometimes you have the feeling that like someone at TikTok like picked out your account to like yeah. go, because it was so, it, feels it was so, so weird. fast. Say, I'm not saying it, this happened to yeah. you, but I know that that, is, that does happen based yeah, on- I have so many conspiracy theories. Cause it was, it was a bit weird. Like I had one night where like, uh, it just 160,000 followers overnight. Like basically wow. I had a growth Fucking of that much. That's insane. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what it is. It was either algorithmic randomness or someone sort of um, picking you out mm -hmm. or something. But Do you think also... that 
the, yeah. the the speed that which that happened makes it feel like less um meaningful to you in a way because like you know that like maybe you feel like I don't know you can take it in a, a kind of more passive way mm. yeah I I do feel a bit of imposter syndrome about it because it feels like kind of fake like the numbers just just don't feel like it was really really weird um but um and there is just something where i don't i don't even see tiktok engagement as real it's like an alternate world like you post a video we, we've said this exact same yeah. thing i want you to know we've felt that what i've always i've always told ellen carolyn is like you have this phone and you have an app and you have an app where you're popular and then you close the app and then you live your regular and you're life just right like it's such again. a yeah and no one knows me in regular life too like not like people don't really <laughs> know me outside of tiktok some started to because like i I, I think I put my TikTok handle on my website, but like otherwise, like people just don't know, like it doesn't really translate to mm. real life. So it, it it does feel really like not real. And it's like I get really nervous about posting a tweet and like if, if I get a few <laughs> likes on a tweet or if I get a few views on like a YouTube, like a talk I gave that was posted on <laughs> YouTube. But and then meanwhile, I'll view like the tens of thousands on TikTok is not real. It's just it's it's so, so odd. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's such. Honestly, I, th- I think we all feel exactly the same. And I, I should say, all, all of this, I think your content is great and you deserve as many views as you get. For yeah, truly, time. truly, truly. Thank and, you. But I, I do want to say that it's one of the reasons why I feel so invested in this podcast is that the engagement with it feels really real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like our Discord server and the Patreon yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, hey, we have a Patreon listeners. <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like also... I w- we were all hoping really deep down that you were going to say that when you hit a million, you actually become suddenly happy and yeah. the imposter syndrome disappears. <laughs> There's a magic number. It's true. You just have to get there. <laughs> Oftentimes I do feel like I am, people are maybe just like less invested in me and more invested in the content I'm sharing. Yeah. And I'll be someone who comes up on their feed and they'll like the study. But in some ways I like that kind of engagement better because it's putting less of like myself out there and it's more just putting the science out there that they get to yeah. like see yeah. so it's less sometimes it feels like less like vulnerable if you do it that yeah. way yeah. but um but yeah I, I think I've had a million and um I got like my verification check as well just like so <laughs> recently that I still am like adjusting to what it's like it's still something very new and yeah. um yeah also dealing with sometimes like like now that brands and stuff reach out to me a bit more i there's Mm -hmm. a lot more like oh do you which of you is like sketchy and which is not and the majority of brands that reach out to you are sketchy is the thing waiting through yeah it's so there's this really sketchy podcast that reached out to you right (laughs) (laughs) buy our supplements the let's learn everything supplements (laughs) (laughs) oh my god all right, Steve, as the guest of honor, do you have any plugs or shout outs? Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess you can follow me on my TikTok. Like, uh, my TikTok is Steve Psychology. Um, my Twitter is um, Steve RathJ2. And I post, that's where I post like a lot of my like research and everything. Oh. And TikTok is more, so Twitter is more like my research and TikTok is more like just talking about other people's studies. But yeah, I guess. Those are my my plugs. I'll, I'll plug all of the three of us at the same time. Actually, <laughs> we are we are Tom Lumperson, Caroline the Bug, and Big Science Energy on TikTok, and you can get all of our details at letslearnevingpod.com. So today we had a a wonderful guest, Steve Rafjay, who got us to think a lot about insect consciousness um, and the idea and meaning of consciousness we also learned a bit about social media and theater very happy we got to talk about that and next time join us where we will learn about everything let's learn everything is independently produced and hosted by ella hubber tom lunn and caroline roper editing and music by the wonderful and talented tom lunn Everything. 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 <laughs> Goodbye. And then the music plays out. The and then we fade Goodbye. Out. And it's great. We do a little summary and say, today we learned about this and this, next time. This and this. We'll learn about everything. It's like cute. Cool. Dead cute. Cool. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>